Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your grace today. All that we do, everything we sing, and now as we open your word, is all in response to what you have done for us. We thank you that you have made us white as snow. Though our sin is scarlet, you've made it as white as snow. And God, I pray for those who are here who may not know you personally, who've not received your grace, who aren't living in response to your great love. I pray that all would come to know you today. And Lord, Lord, for those of us who have given our lives to you, I pray that this message, as we open your word, would speak to every heart and we'd be more committed to you than we've ever been before when we leave this place. God, thank you. We get to come and worship you. Thank you for these young men who have led us to you. Thank you, Lord, for blessing our church family with with, uh, children and with senior adults and all in between. We praise you for the gift of one another today. We thank you most of all for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the book of Job. I want to just offer a quick word of thanks uh, Dr. Randall Bradley, aren't we so grateful to have the, these young men from Baylor University with us today? Way to go, fellas. Way to go. I'll do a little sick Way to go. So awesome. Um, some of these guys know uh, my son, Travis, who just graduated last, uh, last May. We got some, some KOTs maybe in here. But uh, so great to have you guys with us, and we're so thankful. Great to have time with you all a little bit earlier uh, this morning. They're, they're going to sing a little bit more before we're done, but we're going to open God's Word and actually wrap up the book of Job. So go ahead and turn there. We're going to be actually in uh, the, the last chapter, which is chapter 42, and we're going to summarize a bit. Uh, if you haven't been here, so I want to catch us up a little bit, and then we're going to land this incredible uh, truth that God gives us through the book of Job. You know, for years I had heard about the beauty of the Grand Canyon. Anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Any of you guys ever been to the Grand Canyon? So um, I, uh, I'd read about it. I even read that it was, it's 277 miles long. Imagine that. It's 16 miles across at certain points. And it's more than a mile deep at the deepest spots. I'd read about it, seen pictures of it. And then one day I walked through a clearing And I saw it and literally took my breath away. I've had very few moments like that. Uh, One was when I first saw my wife, Stacy. Oh, you just (laughs) lost my breath. But I saw the grain. I literally just, (gasps) like I couldn't breathe. And I I didn't, you know, I'd heard about a breathtaking experience, right? You see, I'd read about it. I heard about it. I knew about it. Then I experienced it. How many know that our relationship with God can often be that way? What I want us to consider today is this. The final truth is this. An intimate relationship with God. An encounter with God on a personal level is better than knowledge about God. And that's really where this entire book goes. Now, if you're new today, we have lots of guests Uh, We started this some weeks ago in the first chapter, of course, and in the first chapter, 
we see there's something going on that Job doesn't know. We were reminded, God's at work in your life even when you can't see Him at work. There's a conversation between Satan and Job. So we said we're going to... Uh, each week, look at a juxtaposition of heaven and earth. We talked about good and evil, questions and answers, man and God. Last week, if you were here, noise and silence. And today, I want to talk about faith and sight. In the first chapter, we said there's a key to unlocking this book. When I discovered this some years ago, changed my mind or my heart approaching this book. I always thought this book is really about you know, evil and suffering, and it is about that. But it's ultimately about worship. The key to understanding the book is found in chapter 1, verse 9, where Satan asked the question, does Job worship God for nothing? We've seen Job is the most blessed man on the planet. He's righteous, blameless. God even says that he is. He's done nothing to deserve the kind of suffering that will come his way. And then Satan asked the question that unlocks the entire book. He's implying that Job worships God because God has been doling out gifts to him. Job becomes every man. He becomes you. He becomes me. And the question comes to us through God's word. More relevant than today's newspaper. Do you worship God because he's God? Or do you worship him based on the circumstances that are taking place in your life? This is the core question in the book of Job. He's implying that no one would worship God if he weren't doling out gifts to them. That worship is simply a law of reciprocity. If God will bless me, then I will worship him. Or, if I do good, God will bless me. And the book of Job blows that kind of theology out of the water. It's an affront to the prosperity gospel of our day. Instead, Job loses everything, as you know. His family, all of his wealth. Minus his wife, who's not a lot of help for him, right? But we remember she's lost a lot too. And so Job walks through this whole challenge. His friends come alongside him who do love him, but their only theological framework is, Job, you must have done something wrong. Because you see, religion works that way. If you don't know grace, it's all about you. You must have done something for you to be receiving this kind of punishment, kind of suffering in your life this is where the word of god confronts us i want you to think about your current challenges and we're all going through challenges in this life i want you to think about the challenges that you're facing are you are you prone to get angry with god are you prone to cease praying and maybe i'm I'm preaching to the proverbial choir are you prone not to worship him Maybe you do so begrudgingly because all is not going well and you're living the best Christian life you can. You're praying and God's not answering your prayers as you want Him to. Or you're prone to blame others for all those things that are happening in your life because you don't want to put it on God. must be everybody else around me. Instead of, hey, perhaps God is at work in everyone else around you. We know something that Job doesn't know. God is up to something. I've discovered that a lot of Christians, we tend to live this way, this kind of uh, religious Christian life, a law of reciprocity that says, well, if I do this, then God will do this. As if God is some big vending machine in the sky. If I pull this lever, he's going to do this. 
He's the bigger, greater Amazon, right? If I click the right button, then I'll get those things that I need. He's going to dole out gifts to me as long as I follow him. He's a genie in the bottle. Of course, in that scenario, I become God, not God. I am the one, I think, who is guiding all things. And then what happens often, our our theology is revealed in the way that we work with others or deal with others. You act as I want you to, and, and, and I'll love you. I'll receive you into the fold if you will be what I want you to be. You see, God created us in his image, and then we quickly return the favor. We think he's like us, and he's not like us. He's a God of grace. So Job is asking all these questions, and then the bulk of the story is his friends then, the dialogue, cycles of dialogue and questions that come at him. And they can't get away from the fact that, Job, you must have done something wrong. He continues to argue for his innocence. He's done nothing. And then he says, if I could just come before God, and there's a lot of uh, courtroom language in this book, If I could come before the judge, I would offer my defense. I would tell him a few things. And then Job gets his chance. And then God turns the tables on him in chapter 38 on through 41. God says, Job, put on your big boy pants. I've got some questions for you. And after a barrage of rhetorical questions, Job is pummeled with truth from God. Where were you? when I created all things. Who are you? Do you know? And he keeps asking all these questions as he takes him on a virtual tour of the universe. And Job is put in his place. And how about this? Once he's put in his place, he's right-sized before God. This is a great truth. He's finally satisfied. And not until then. So he's silenced. And then we come to chapter 42, and I'm going to look, uh, focus primarily on verses 1 through 6. We're going to explore the difference between knowing about God and actually knowing Him experientially. Many of us have a second-hand kind of knowledge. I don't know about you, I'm, I'm the second of three boys in my family, so if my older brother kind of grew out of his clothes, mom could just pass them on to me, right? I wear his clothes for a little while, then after I wear them, you know, give them to the younger brother. Just kind of a hand-me-down faith is what some of us have. I think the most important question we can ask today is, what does first-hand faith look like? So let's talk about a first-hand encounter with God. Marks of a first-hand encounter. Let me read, let's read um, verses 1 through 6, and then uh, we're going to look at the latter part really as a summary of what happens. Surprising twist yet again in the last part of chapter 42. So look at chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said... So this again, this is after he's pummeled with all these questions from God, rhetorical questions, and every one of his answers is no, 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 no. Then he says in verse 1, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He's saying your purposes can't be stopped. Now watch this. Job responds with who God is, who he is, and then with deep satisfaction, which we'll see leads to obedience and joy. And then he says in verse 3, he repeats God's question, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And then he says, therefore I uttered what I did not understand. 
things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And then he repeats God's question again, his statement where he says in verse 4, Hear, and I will speak to you. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And God did. And then here's Job's response. Listen to this. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, what he says in in verse 5 is an astounding statement. After, if you know this book, chapter 1, verse 21, where he says, I've lost everything, minus my wife who's telling me to curse God and die, but I've lost everything. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And again, there we think, game over. Job wins. But with what we think he knows, he now tells us, I'd heard of him. I'd heard about him, but now I've seen him. What I want you to see, first of all, is that experience is better than knowledge. He says, things too wonderful for me. I love what it says in Psalm 139.6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too high, I cannot attain it. This is my constant prayer for us as a church. It's found in Ephesians 3. You can see it there. My prayer for myself, and it's written in my Bible. I shared with our deacons this week. And to know, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see that? Surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Some of you know this word to know is gnosko in the Greek. Uh, It's the same word that's used in the Greek uh, Septuagint where we see in the, uh, the creation narrative where Adam knew Eve, and they had a son. There's something more going on, the intellectual ascent at that point. This is a knowledge that's beyond the mind. It's a personal experience. It's a deep experiential knowledge. Intimacy with God. This kind of knowledge is rare. Someone said experience is the best teacher. And someone added, yes, but the tuition is high. Isn't it true? And I would argue the worse the experience, it's probably true in all of our life, the more I learn, the greater the knowledge, the greater the understanding. But let's be honest, many of us would say, I want to know God, but at what cost? At what cost? I've lost so much, and in my economy and understanding, it doesn't make sense. But in God's economy, it makes sense. You see, the desire for knowledge alone, or watch this, even primarily, is the mark of a cultural Christian. Someone who says, I want just more knowledge. I've heard this throughout my ministry. I just want to go deeper in the Word. And most of the time, we just exegete the passage. Give me more history. I love context. I want to know what the Greek says. I want to know more about the Hebrew. Just give me the historical context. All of that's important. But let me ask you this. Why would God reveal something new to you if you're not obeying what He's already shown you? You see, most of us, no, all of us know more than we're obeying. But watch this. Knowledge comes through obedience. Yes, you need to know some things. I mean, our faith is built on a confession, on truth. But we experience it. 
when we obey him, the greatest knowledge that people have of Scripture, watch this, the ones who are closest to the Lord in your life are not those who simply have the great knowledge of the Word, but those who obey the Word. Knowledge without obedience leads to pride, a hubris kind of faith, the judgmental kind of a Christian stance that we see so much in our day. So, experience is better than knowledge. Look at this. We see in verse 4, listening is better than speaking. We looked a bit at that last week. Silence is better than noise. You know, one of the marks of one who's walking with the intimacy with, uh, with Christ is, is that we listen. Are you praying? Are you coming before God? And in your prayers, this is a challenge for me. In my prayers, am I listening? Or am I, am I simply speaking? Because often when I'm speaking, I'm demanding God, do this, do this, do this. He asks us, he tells us to ask him. But are you listening to him? You see, so many of us are getting lost. We're missing the greater music, the bigger story, because we're running after all the smaller stories in our lives. It's possible to do this. I hear this often. Uh, a news channel, watching what's happening in the world, listening to so much that's coming into our ears, and, and, and we lose track of the grander, bigger story. This is what God is doing with Job. He says, listen, no, 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 no. I'm at work in ways you cannot see. And friends, many of us, we get lost in the lesser stories, and we forget the greater story. That God is up to something. It's why in Psalm 46.10, you know this, this verse. I love this. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, in the Hebrew, it's literally, let your hands hang down. Stop. Stop. Listen. I'm at work. Let me work in your life. And then look at this next point we see in verse 5. Seeing is better than hearing. Here's what I mean. Spiritual insight. Spiritual vision is better than simply hearing about God or hearing information from God. Back to that idea of a second-hand knowledge. It's wonderful to have a pastor, a teacher, someone in a connect group that's leading, who knows the Word of God, teaching it. But if your life, if your Christian experience is simply a download of information from someone else's experience, that's a second-hand faith. And it will not allow you to thrive through difficult times in your life. So it comes as we're in the Word. We're listening. We see Him. Jesus Himself said that obedience is the lens through which we see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see, spiritual vision demands purity of heart. And praise be to God, He is the one who has allowed us to become forgiven, pure before him because of his sacrificial work on the cross. We're forgiven. We're made pure by him, but we walk with him. We've seen an amazing, I just want to share this, we've seen an amazing movement among our men, many of our young men in particular this fall. We, we, we all came together and we watched this film, The Heart of Man, that deals with uh, shame and and sin and, and confronts us with the gospel. And many of us are leading small groups across the life of our church throughout the week. And what these young men, these men, not all young men, men have been in these groups and what they've experienced is not simply a download of information, 
going to yet another Bible study. He said, I just want to learn more. Just need, to more, need more knowledge. Need more knowledge. Instead, they're coming together in a circle, often better than rows, life on life, and they're hearing from one another about the challenges and struggles of their lives. And I'm hearing amazing stories. You know why? It's because seeing is better than hearing. And we see God when we decide to enter into accountable relationships. It's why our connect groups are so critical. It's why every person needs to be in one of our groups. It's life on life. It's friendships and relationships that lead us to the Lord. Well, look at this. In verse 6, we see that repentance is better than resistance. We see that finally Job repents. I want to ask you, when's the last time you just came before the Lord and said, I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. Is repentance part of the spiritual disciplines of your life? I think it's the lost spiritual discipline of our lives. We seek to guide us towards that in corporate moments together, but are you coming before the Lord and have a, a rhythm of repentance? It was Martin Luther, the great reformer. We celebrate Reformation Day coming up this week, uh, Halloween, and... He's the one who said the entire, all of Christian life is one of repentance. It's the first of his 95 theses. And, and, it, and it's repentance that draws us back. So I love this where Job says, I repent. I, I, I said things I didn't know and I had ideas and thoughts that were not of God. Look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. You can see it there. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief says, uh, I feel bad about what I did. I mean, even, even a non-believer, one that's not filled with the Spirit, would feel bad about certain things. Godly grief instead says, I've sinned against God Almighty. And I need to get underneath what led me to that kind of action. Those kinds of words. And I repent. And I'm turning from that way of life. Job repents. And he is finally satisfied. And not until then. This is the power of repentance. Look at this. Grace is better than religion. Here's what we see in verses 7 through 12. For the sake of time, I just want you to know and see here that Job is finally satisfied in God. Then God blesses him. Now, I'm going I'm to offer a personal confession. Um, I was talking uh, to Verdell. Um, this morning. You heard from Verdell la last week who shared her story and, and I was telling her, I, I don't like this last part of the book. <laughs> uh, as if I, I could rewrite the book. But what happens? Job receives everything back times two. And I'm thinking, that's not the point of the story. Does this confirm the prosperity gospel? Now listen, Job did nothing to receive all the suffering that he got. That's very clear. Listen, Job does nothing to receive all that God gives him in the end. That's not what's happening here. Again, worship is not a law of reciprocity. And so what we see here in verses 7 through 12, where he receives his, his fortune back, he even has children who come back to him. Now, again, Burdell reminded me this morning, he doesn't get his family back. He gets others, but he never receives back what he had. Not really. 
And because he's satisfied in God alone, he's able to enjoy it all more. You know, the great problem in theodicy, the study of evil and suffering, is what we call gratuitous evil and suffering in theological circles. Meaningless, seemingly meaningless evil and suffering. But you know what we see here? Praise be, the gospel is gratuitous grace. Seemingly meaningless, unconditional grace. And that's what we've received in Christ. The biggest question attached to the book of Job is often, why do bad things happen to good people? But listen, if we understand the Bible and who we are before God, before we're redeemed, I would say that's only happened once. The question is, why do good things happen to bad people? That's the grace of God. We're here today by His grace. We're here today because of Him. We're saved because of all that He's done for us. Nothing that we've done. He redeems all things. And He redeems Job's life. And He brings grace upon grace in His life. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I want us all to say this together. You can see it there on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I love that. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, Paul says, "By, by the grace of God, I am who I am. That's a powerful statement. By the grace of God. So in the end, we've said it, Job doesn't get all his answers. He gets something better. He gets God. So sight is better than faith. And there's coming a day, friends, listen, when we're going to see what God has done. We're going to see face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see, watch this, in a mirror dimly, But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall, here's the word, know, gnosko, fully, even as I am fully known. You see that? Someday I'll see him face to face. When I see him, I'll know. It's why I say often, just behold him. Stop trying to be like him, just behold him. Just see Him. Because the closer we are to Him to understand His love for us, the more He transforms us. This is not something just off in the future. It's now. We see Him. We're transformed by Him. I love what it says in 1 John 3, verse 10, Beloved, we are God's children now. Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because, you see it? Because we shall see him as he is. Just beholding him changes us. I used to say that, you know, the, when I see heaven, going to be like my experience at the Grand Canyon. I used to think that when I step into heaven, I'm going to go, wow. I think there'll be a lot of that. But you know what I think it is more so? Oh. Everything makes sense. 
In fact, all of my questions, I believe, won't even matter because I've seen Him. You see, because the answer is better than answers. Are you pursuing Him? Do you believe that He's enough? Do you know Him today? Is your life pursuit what Paul's pursuit is? This is my life's pursuit. Philippians 3.10. I'll close with this. That I may know Him. There it is again. The power of His resurrection. And look at what he says. May share in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. Friends, Job's suffering anticipates greater suffering. His questions foresee a greater question. When our Savior would cry out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he would take upon our sin, Job's need for an advocate, a mediator, foreshadows the great mediator who would come, the great advocate, Jesus, who would stand. Job's purity, his blameless state, points to one who is greater and blameless, sinless, who lives the perfect life on our behalf. Because we could not. And his struggle, his suffering, foresees a greater suffering that our Savior would experience through his death on the cross. And watch this. The grace he receives would foreshadow a greater grace that we would receive, not twofold, a millionfold. What we do not deserve is what God has given us and what we will receive when we see him face to face. I want us to close with a moment. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? The choir is going to sing a, really a blessing over us as we close this time for you to just enter into prayer. Meditation before God. I want to ask you, what are you going to do about this? Have you received the great treasure of salvation? Don't leave this campus today without talking with someone, without receiving Christ. You have opportunity after the service. Friends, it was C.S. Lewis who said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. When we see Him, behold Him, everything else pales in comparison. But listen, you can trust Him even when you don't see Him. Even when the sun is not shining. It doesn't mean it's not there. Friend, He is still there. He loves you. He holds you in His hands. You can trust Him.